It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. With your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall. Jamie Dew. Okay, thank you so much, Doug the Nats. It is great to be back here in the foyer, the greeting area of the SNL Hall of Fame. My name is Shady, and welcome to the podcast. Step inside, but before you do, please wipe your feet. Make yourself comfortable as we discuss what we're here to do, which is to take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity in the hall. And get this, we do it every single week. So this is season four, and we are already past the halfway point. This is episode 11. If you are into superstition at all, hey, that's cool. I don't know how that relates to the number 11, but maybe it does. Maybe it does. So there's that. I would like to uh, give a shout-out to... My team here at the SNL Hall of Fame, that is the great Thomas Senna and the wonderful Matthew Ardill. You're going to be hearing a little bit more of us in the weeks to come on a very special episode. And get this, we're already preparing to record next season's draft. So there is a a lot going on. We are spinning plates here in the SNL Hall of Fame podcasts, and it's a good thing that we're such good plate spinners. But uh, I really want to give a shout out to those two for uh, propping me up and uh, and keeping me going when when things were a little bleak lay, uh, earlier in the month. So there's that. Let's go right into uh, the segment that, hey, frankly, we, we know why you're here. We know why you're here. You're here for the great conversations, and you're here for Matt's Minutia Minute. And uh, I'm just flotsam. <laughs> Dust in the wind is all I am. Uh, no, I set you up with the, uh, with the uh, canned, uh, yeah, anyway. Let's go walk down the hallway here. This is a, a very special episode of the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. JD has a nervous breakdown on the podcast live, and everybody is standing by just uh, to see what the hell happens. Tune in. <laughs> anyway, uh, too much information. I'm just the host, folks. That's what I do. I come out here and I warm you up. And I think you're warm enough. So let's uh, talk to our friend Matt Ardill in his Minutia Minute Corner. Did I just break the alliteration by calling it corner? <laughs> it's Matt's Minutia Minute, folks. Let's dig in. Hey, Jamie. Thanks. I am really looking forward to today. 
Yeah, this is like one of the like biggest musicians of all time, at least in, in you know the last several generations. Uh, I can't wait. James Paul McCartney, also known as Paul McCartney or Macca to my uh, Australian friends, uh, height 5'11", which is taller than I thought. I thought he was a short little guy. That guy's taller than me by like several inches. His birth date is June 18th, 1942. He was born in Walton, a neighborhood of Liverpool, to his mother Mary, a midwife, the Mary of Mother Mary, and his father, James, a jazz trumpeter and volunteer firefighter during World War II. He has composed 212 songs for films. He has 1,201 soundtrack credits and 168 acting credits. Most of the acting credits are honestly him being him and things like help. Uh, but when him being him includes him being him on Bojack Horseman, that is an acting credit. Who am I to argue with Sir Paul? He plays 25 instruments, including bass, piano, bass drum, guitar, cello, flugelhorn, auto harp, spinet, maracas, moog synthesizer, tubular bells, melodica, organ, toy glockenspiel, recorder, drums, mandolin, saxophone, resonator guitar, sitar, ukulele, harmonica, triangle, shakers, and a tambourine. Now, let's be honest. Triangle, shakers, tambourine, that, that sounds like they're just padding things out a little bit. I mean, 22 instruments is still impressive, Paul. He attended the Liverpool Institute, where he met George Harrison, and they became fast friends. His father bought an upright piano from a music store owned by the parents of future Beatles manager Brian Epstein. A young prodigy, he learned much of how he plays by ear, despite his father encouraging him to take music lessons. He wrote his first song at 14 called I Lost My Little Girl. Uh, on a Framus Zenith Model 17 that he purchased after trading in a nickel-plated trumpet gifted to him by his father so he could sing while he played. At 15, he met John Lennon and his band The Quarrymen, a rock and roll skiffle band at St. Peter's Church Hall where they were performing. Paul uh, was very quickly invited to join the band as a rhythm guitarist, and George followed shortly after as lead guitarist. They were just one peace and love, away from being the Beatles. That was a very bad Ringo, I'm sorry. Can't promise that's going to be the last time you hear that. During their early days in Hamburg, he was deported, along with the rest of the band, after Pete Best, the drummer before Ringo, uh, lit a condom on fire to, light, to create some light while they moved stuff out of a flat they'd been staying at. The proprietor of the, of the uh, hotel called the cops, and they were all booted from, from Germany. During his time in the Beatles, he wrote almost half of the 200 songs, and John's uh, co-writer credit on those were only because when they were teens, they had a handshake deal that they would always list one another as co-writers on all of their music when they worked together even if John's input was minimal, which just shows, like, this dude kept his word. 
Um, but maybe if you're uh, starting a band with a friend from high school, get a lawyer to look over these agreements that you have. When I Am 64 was written, it was written for Paul's father, James, on his 64th birthday. Paul holds the Guinness Book World Record for 60 discs and sales of over 100 million singles. He is the first musician to perform for astronauts when he sang Good Day Sunshine and English Tea in 2005. It was broadcast to the, uh, the, the International Space Station. Pretty cool. While filming the video for Say Say Say, he was chatting with Michael Jackson about planning for the future. He mentioned investing in music catalog ownership, and uh, Jackson, not understanding how friendship worked, uh, went out and immediately bought the rights to all of the Beatles' work and pissed off Paul McCartney, uh, which is, that is, got to really be a jerk to piss off Sir Paul. It took until 2017 for him to get the rights back. Paul was knighted in 1997 by Queen Elizabeth, so he is Sir Paul. Uh, Paul, along with Ringo, uh, donate a fair amount of time to the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, where they mentor young students. And um, during their time in Hamburg, my ex-wife's mom interviewed them for the BBC, which cements the fact that she's one of the coolest people I know because she's met some of the coolest people ever. Peace and love, peace and love. Matt and JD. Yes, thank you so much. As always, I am down here in the production cellar, excited to talk about a living legend, of course, the one and only Sir Paul McCartney. And to join me in celebrating Paul McCartney, we have Justin Renwick. This is uh, Justin's fifth time. And our previous guests, I got to tell Justin right off the bat, our previous five timers, Kirsten and Ryan, were just fine with the uh, bragging rights and accolades. So I don't know if you're expecting a jacket, slippers, Justin. I don't know, but we have just bragging Tom rights. Tom Hanks was here earlier. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and he, uh, so Tom Hanks was officially uh, welcomed you to the five timers. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, he and he and Candace Bergen, they're they're a, they're a tag team. Well, there you go. Justin set that up himself. He got Candace Bergen and Tom Hanks, so we don't have to do the official welcoming. Justin's already been uh, uh, shown his uh, his five timers uh, club card, which will get him some great discounts, I'm sure, at any uh, apparel or any gift shop in uh, in Thirty Rock. So, congratulations, Justin. Thanks. It uh, feels it feels good to be jacketed. <laughs> so, Justin, <laughs> you, yeah, you were on for. Uh, Jim Downey, Dan Aykroyd, Elvis Costello, John Belushi, uh, a lot of really, really strong candidates. Uh, now we have Paul McCartney. I mean, gosh, how do we do it justice? So one of the most famous people in the world, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe the greatest band of all time. Like, how yeah. do we do this uh, justice here? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I don't even know where to start. Yeah, well, we're lucky that we only have uh, the uh, SNL portion of Paul's career yeah. to, to yeah. tackle. So <laughs> it'll be a little easier for us. So I'm curious, Justin, like, uh, what is your relationship with uh, with Paul McCartney's music? Well, I was, I mean, not that this really has anything to do with it, but I just think it's interesting that I was born shortly after the Beatles announced their official split. However, um, you know, among the Gordon Lightfoot and Simon and Garfunkel records, everything else in the house was the Beatles. So I grew up completely surrounded by Beatles music and, and loving it from a, a young age. In fact, I broke our parents' turntable when I was four playing Rubber Soul over and over again. That's a great one to wear out. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of Beatles fans have their albums. So was Rubber Soul yours or what? What Beatles At that time, album? yeah. And that, just let me say, if you're going to break a dual turntable, you're going to want to use Rubber Soul. Yeah, yeah. Rubber Soul, Revolver, anything around that time period. Gosh, just uh, just wonderful stuff. So what do you, uh, uh, in terms of his solo stuff, because we're going to be talking a lot about Paul as a solo artist here, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, his first SNL appearance was 10 years after the band, after the Beatles broke up. So we're catching him solo wise. So what do you, what do you know about his, his solo career? How does that? I like wings. I like the, the McCartney albums, you know, the first one that he, that he did in his house, uh, which was just down the street from Abbey road. He borrowed some of their equipment and he basically played every instrument on it. And Linda was on there with him. And then, Shortly after that, he formed Wings, and then by the time he did McCartney 2, which was also pretty much a one-man endeavor, that's when he was on Saturday Night Live uh, promoting the, the song Coming Up, and when they showed the video, which is one of my favorite of his uh, his solo songs. Yeah, we're getting Paul, I think, at an interesting time. He's 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 a little different than his, band, his Beatle bandmates, because Paul really seems to be into... Being more of a celebrity, being more, he was always, it seemed like he was always into being the one who's really into being a Beatle, quite honestly. So he's really relishing like that high profile persona, whereas maybe John Lennon was shied away from it. Maybe Ringo Starr didn't have the cachet. So Paul's really like famous for being a Beatle and loves it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, those, those years that they spent in the trenches, you know, being chased by by fans everywhere and sort of living inside that that bubble that like turns into a prison after a while um you know that dragged everybody down but yeah paul seems to have the best relationship with that uh that level of fandom he's uh he's a born people pleaser yeah and i don't mean i don't mean that as an insult i mean he's very he's he's really good at it yeah, I agree. I, I just recently read a book uh, by Rob Sheffield who did uh, Love is a Mixtape, really good author called Dreaming the Beatles. And he was talking about uh, he has chapters on each of the guys and chapters dedicated to certain songs and how how the, the band is perceived by their fans, their relationship to their fans and things like that. And he described Paul as like uh, the one who out of the other three out of the four, he was the one that was most excited about living out the Beatle fantasy. And he was mm-hmm. the one that kind of got them to work in the studio. He's kind of a nag sometimes in the studio when they're writing songs and everything like that. So, I mean, what do you think of of that perspective as far as Paul is like the uh, de facto sort of member of the band who would just push them? 
Yeah, I think it backs up what we were saying earlier. Towards the end, when the band was falling apart, he was the one that was really the cheerleader and like really trying to keep it together. It doesn't look like he wanted it to end. And, you know, there were other fights going on in the background against who their manager was going to be. Everybody else wanted to go with Alan Klein. He wanted to go with um, his uh, his wife, Linda's, um, was it her father or grandfather? I can't remember, but it was, I think it was Lee, Lee Eastman. He wanted him to look after their affairs, which, and you can see why the other three would sort of be a little opposed to that. So as far as his SNL Hall of Fame candidacy goes, this is a little different kind of episode because we are actually relitigating his candidacy. Mm-hmm. He was a season one candidate on the SNL Hall of Fame. Uh, after that season, that voting cycle, he got 23% of the vote. Season two, it was up to 30% of the vote. One more percentage point in season three, 31%. So <laughs> at this rate, it'll take 30 plus years, 40 years yeah. for Paul to be in the SNL Hall of Fame. So I'm curious, like, why don't you think Paul is in the SNL Hall of Fame already. You know, it's tough because he's never hosted the show. You know, he's he's been there. He's a he's a good friend of Lorne Michaels, as we all know from listening to the Fly on the Wall broadcast. He's one of the two Pauls, right, that Lorne, Paul's coming over. And it's either Paul McCartney or Paul Simon. Um, so that, that sort of makes it tough. Like, he's he's been in sketches. You know, he appeared on the Chris Farley show, which course is great he did that small sketch with martin short in 2012 where he was uh his his uh, triangle playing brother monty which was just a segue into playing the christmas song mm-hmm. so it's hard but the only argument i can really put forward is just i see the the similarities between what the beatles did for popular culture in the 60s and although it's nowhere near on the same level, in the microcosm of comedy, it's kind of, especially television comedy, uh, Second City, or pardon me, Second City, Saturday Night Live did the same thing in the 70s. They kind of revolutionized. They put that guerrilla, for want of a better word, comedy that was on stages and reflecting the hippie movement. They actually got that onto the air. So I see, I, you know, I see a, a through line there. And, you know, Beatles, of course, were famous for their sense of humor. It's no secret that uh, at least John and Paul were fans of the show. I can't speak. I mean, Ringo appeared on the show in uh, in 1985. Uh, and, well, George appeared on the show, too. Of George. course, he was the first he was the first uh, Beatle to to appear in the second season. So I think it's it's fair to say they were all fans of the show. There was there's a kindred spirit there. And Paul obviously likes hanging out. He's been there you know, four or five times in the last 20 years. So I yeah. think that puts him that puts him in the running. But yeah, it's, it's tougher because he's never hosted. And maybe that's yeah. what's kept him. That's, that's interesting because Paul Simon, as of now, is the only musical guest in the SNL Hall of Fame. And, and he's hosted before. He had an, the entire second episode of, of SNL yeah. was damn near just the Paul Simon variety hour, right? Yeah. Hour and yeah, a half. It was a, it was a special, yeah. Yeah, basically. So I think that I think maybe uh, whether voters know it or not, that probably factors in to their votes. And I love that's what I love about Paul, too, is he obviously he's a goofy sort of guy. He has a sense of humor. He loves the show. I've heard him. I've heard former cast members saying that Paul complimented them on a sketch and they were just so surprised that Paul McCartney even knows what that sketch is or knows who they are. But it seems like seems like he's a genuine fan of the show. You know, Mike Myers' brother, Paul, told a really great story on his podcast, uh, the Record Story Day podcast, which if no one out there has listened to it, do yourself a favor. Mm -hmm. 
but he was saying he was there. Um, it was shortly after his father Eric had died. So Paul and Eric's, uh, pardon me, Paul and Mike's father Eric died in uh, the early '90s. He was from Liverpool. Both his parents were, and Mike had told Paul previously about his father, and he knew that his father has passed. So he actually came up to him. He and Linda came up to Paul and just said, "You know, we're really, really sorry to hear about your dad." The fact that somebody that world famous, who's got you know a million names in his head, probably you know, probably meets new people or people that he's going to be doing business with all the time, he actually took the time out to tell a cast member's brother that it, you know we sorry to hear that his dad died, which really speaks to Paul's character. That, that that was really sweet. Yeah, absolutely. He always struck me as pretty genuine. Actually, there's nothing like he he's a goofball. Uh, and I know, especially when he was with the Beatles, he really was be- into being a Beatle and living that that life. But he always struck me as like pretty a fairly genuine kind of guy in that way. I really like that story. And yeah, Paul Myers, great podcast. He 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 wrote the uh, Kids in the Hall book too. Good Twitter follow. Uh, yeah, uh, he's actually uh, he's working on a John Candy book right now, which I'm really uh, looking forward to. So the Beatles, uh, I guess the first really reference to them on the show was Lauren's offer to the Beatles to reunite. Now we've heard and read a lot about personality and legal conflicts that might prevent you guys from reuniting. That's something which is none of my business. You guys will have to handle that. But it's also been said that no one has yet to come up with enough money to satisfy you. Well, if it's money you want, there's no problem here. The National Broadcasting Company has authorized me to offer you a certified check for $3,000. Apparently, you'd mentioned Paul and John were fans. Apparently, they were in New York watching and almost went to the studio. Yep. They were at John's apartment at the Dakota up at 8th and 72nd. And the story, you know, who knows how, how much it's been embellished over the years. But the story, as I know it, got to they were actually down on the street about to get a cab and then stopped and said, ah, wait, it's just, this is too... I don't know if it was they they didn't want to mess with their um their legacy but it would have been so, it would have been so nice to have them appear on the show that night especially cuz John Sebastian was one of the two musical guests and they they were old friends uh, John Sebastian from the Love and Spoonful the Beatles were big fans and actually mm. Paul's uh, Good Day Sunshine was written after he'd heard uh, Daydream by the Love and Spoonful it was directly influenced by that song so there was a there was a mutual respect there. It would have it would have been lovely to see those guys jam, but you know, it would have been ifs, ifs and buts of candy and nuts. <laughs> right. <laughs> it would have been maybe the SNL moment that mm. still gets played in pop culture. I would assume it would probably have been the SNL moment from the early years. Uh, yeah, I know certain things like Richard Pryor appearance, Richard Pryor's appearance gets replayed. Uh, there's certain things that people always come to, but if that would have happened. That would have probably been for a long time the SNL moment. I oh think. God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what could have been if Uber had existed, or if, <laughs> <laughs> if they could have just gotten there faster without rethinking it and waiting for transportation or something. Yeah, if there'd oh, been if gosh. there'd been any kind of planning, like you guys had all week, <laughs> and I mean the show, you had all week to reach out to them. You didn't have to do it on live TV. Could have said, I mean, they probably knew that was a million to one shot, but yeah. the fact that it almost it almost came true. You know, I could sit here and wax rap, rap, rhapsodically about that for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But Paul's first appearance did come a few years later. It was season five, episode 19, toward the end of season five. 
He was musical yeah. I think it guest. was the, it was I think it was the second last show. It of was the, the season. Second, yeah, it was the second to last show of like that early SNL yeah, era when Lauren uh, just before Lauren left for five years. Yeah, so Lauren got Paul McCartney to appear on the show just under the wire before he left in the Gene Dumanian Dick Ebersol era yeah. started. Uh, the host was Steve Martin, and he was billed with as a musical guest with Linda McCartney. This was kind of an odd, I mean, it's really great to get Paul and they're not going to say no, but this was kind of an odd sort of appearance, in my opinion. What do you think, Justin, about this? It was, it was, it was kind of weird. It was, it was a bit of a coup though. And Mm -hmm. I, I watched that show live and I remember being really excited about it. And this was in the early days of uh, music videos. There was no MTV. There was no much music. There was nowhere to go really to see videos so it was just exciting to see a video even exactly so they did coming up but it was a video so he wasn't in actually in studio 8h Mm -hmm. performing he did appear which i think was probably pre-recorded too i Uh, believe yeah i've I've read that too i believe it was pre-taped yeah so father guido sarducci don novello as father guido sarducci interviewed paul and linda before the video before the performance and i want to ask you is it true that you haven't had any marijuana in 122 days, yes or no? It was my understanding that we were just going to talk about the videotape, uh, you know. Have they shown it yet or what? No, it's still coming up, you know, but I just would like to ask you a couple of questions first, you know, just a couple. Okay, that's fine, just as long as there are questions about the tape, just the tape, okay? So we did get that, or fans who were watching at the time did get that. The video itself, it was just kind of goofy. Paul was obviously lip-syncing, um, but I think it was like Lorne had to get Paul McCartney on before mm-hmm. The Wire. You know, I never really thought of that. That's that's probably got something to do with it. Yeah, that never occurred to me before. Yeah, because I guess he knew he was on his way out. We... We don't want to get too inside baseball here, but we know the whole thing that was going on with uh, Freddie Silverman at the time, and they had a deal, and then Al Franken kind of <laughs> kind of tanked it with the whole uh, limo for the lamo right. uh, monologue on <laughs> on Weekend Update. But yeah. I mean, it didn't really it didn't hurt the show any. You know, no. the, that that first season after was a real dog's breakfast, but at least we got uh, Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo out of it. Yeah, exactly. You could even say like in SNL's worst seasons. There's always some sort of uh, silver lining, and definitely like yeah. Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy were there. But it was it's was still really nice that that the show that Lorne was able to get Paul McCartney. But mm-hmm. then he went, Paul went about 13 years until his his next appearance, which was in season 18, and I think he made up for it. Uh, made up for only doing like a a music video in his first appearance. <laughs> <laughs> I think this was a more fun, proper appearance on snl he even yeah. uh participated in sketches and everything so the first song get out of my way like what'd you what'd you think about paul's first like proper song in studio 8h you know paul is a, a consummate professional so this is a guy that keep people entertained in those small clubs in uh, in germany and also shea stadium right and beyond so you know he's got he's got a band that he works with and he really knows how to put on a show. It's uh, I'm ashamed to say I've never I've never actually gone to see him. I've always wanted to, but for whatever reason, it's just never come together. But anyone oh, come together, <laughs> pardon the pun. <laughs> but anyone I've talked to is like it's it's really worth going to see him because he really puts on a fantastic show. 
Yeah. And yeah, those performances on Saturday Night Live, there's the proof. Yeah, he's a powerful performer. My wife and I were lucky enough to see him headline at the Austin City Limits Music Festival. Oh, wow. In 2018. It was, it was just unreal. He performs three hours, 30 plus songs. He does a lot of Beatles songs that, that you would love to see. And it was just like, it was, so it was uh, David Byrne into Paul McCartney. That oh, wow. Night. Yeah, it was, it was unreal. I saw him at Co- uh, the Coachella Festival in 2009 as well. And that, that was incredible too. So rest assured, he like older part of Paul McCartney. We saw him five years ago. He's still, he's just still the man performing live. Yeah. It's just, I mean, his, his voice isn't what it's, it used to be, but let's face no. it. He's an octogenarian, right? The fact that he's able to be up there on stage singing, that's all, that's, that's all you need. And that first song, get out of my way, pretty fun rock and roll song. think what i expect from paul mccartney is just him up there having fun playing pretty relatively straightforward rock and roll and he's just he's just amazing at that he's the he's the master of melody i think Music. i'd say out of, the, out of the four beatles yeah out of the four beatles he was the most he was easily the most melodic and that's part of why he and john work so well together it's nice yeah. to have somebody to, to bounce ideas off of and to you know take you know say john brings in just a simple three chord song or whatever you have somebody there who can offer a fourth chord, a fifth chord, or, you know, just improving the melody or making a counter melody. Even, you know, Paul bringing in songs like We Can Work It Out and John coming up with the uh, the middle bridges with the life is very short and there's no time bringing in the negative that balances out the positive. Even with songs that I'm less familiar with, like Get Out of My Way or his second song on on this SNL episode, Biker Like an Icon. Like, I'm less familiar with those songs, but a lot of people are, but they're still interesting to listen to because Paul's just a genius with melody. And that's what I tell people about the yep. Beatles and about Paul and why I love them so much. And a lot of it has to do with the vocal melodies because they mm-hmm. have X number of famous songs and all of them are interesting to listen to in their own unique ways. And just the yep. way that they sing, like, like, I don't, I just, it takes some genius creative mind to come up with different vocal melodies to keep people interested. And that's what I always point back to with Paul and the Beatles. It's just, even if I'm less familiar with the song, there's always something interesting that I could pick out about that song. And I saw that here in these performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Even the Beatles, th- even the Beatles throwaways are worth listening to like any yeah. of the songs that they didn't release at the time. Or even if you hear an earlier version of a, a later song, even the early version you can hear, you can sort of say, well, okay, I, I see why they didn't use that because it, it just it wasn't quite there. But even knowing that, do you know what I mean? No, listening back to something and saying, you know what, this is good, but it's not, it's not good enough. It needs more time. And one of the classic examples of this is Hey Jude, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, what an earworm that is. And this is, it's the third song that he performed in his second SNL stint here in 93. Hey Jude. Studio 8H, sometimes the sound engineering isn't the best, and I think that's kind of what happened 
with this performance yeah. as well. But it's always wonderful to me to see Paul perform that song. And I'm one of the few people probably who doesn't get tired of these classic Beatles songs like Hey Jude. Yeah, li- live sound, especially because it's live. That's just, that's got to be a nightmare to um, to mix, especially for a studio that was built in, what, I think the 20s for Arturo Toscanini's um, orchestra, right? And somebody like Letterman, let's say, as an example, you can have somebody on and maybe the sound's a bit dodgy, but they it's taped, right? So they can they can improve it. They can do things to sweeten it or whatever. SNL, it's live, man. That's it. So you you better be ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what a treat. If you're for, on the board. <laughs> yeah, what a treat for that audience and for the cast members and the crew that were there. That, so he got to play three songs because he's Paul McCartney. We see a few artists. Taylor Swift will play three songs. David Bowie um, you too. played three songs. Uh, U2. Um, yeah. But that's like those amazing, legendary heritage artists. And who's yeah. more legendary than Paul McCartney and the Beatles. So, of course, he's going to get three songs in, in his first proper appearance, right? And just like we said before, making up for lost time. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> it's been 13 years, and the first time was like, yeah, I don't know, it was kind of. Can- the first time it was canned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, so man. I think, I think he did a good job of making up for it. A funny story that I love, uh, during Hey Jude on SNL here, Al Franken <laughs> was... Stealing jeans from the Gap Girls set while this performance yep. was happening. I, yeah, I've heard, I've heard that story. That was a, that was something else I heard on Fly on the Wall. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I love when they tell that. Of course, it, Al Franken he needed jeans, and they had set up the Gap Girls. Absolutely, they did a sketch that night, and everybody's just glued to Paul McCartney doing "Hey Jude." Oh, and so don't forget time, the Gap. The Gap brought their own security. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the gap to guard those jeans and clothes. Mm-hmm. But what better time to, to go behind somebody's back and get some free jeans than when Paul McCartney's doing hey When jeans. you got some, some Beatles subterfuge. Yeah. So, yeah, Al Franken, good job on you for, for getting you some jeans. And what I love, too, I don't know about you, uh, Justin, but I love seeing musical guests play with the cast and be in sketches. Does that make a difference to oh, you? Oh, man, it's my, it's my favorite. I love it. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have uh, somebody, somebody like the Beatles, who back in their day had to do a lot of, uh, you know, what the English call panto. You know, they had to go on and do these like little theater pieces from time to time, which and the movies as well. They acted in two movies. Mm-hmm. Now, no one's ever going to hold the Beatles up as, you know, great actors. Ringo, notwithstanding, Ringo's actually quite good. But yeah, like they've had experience with that. They've had nothing but live experience. So it, yeah, especially somebody that. Even though they're not that accomplished an actor, they know what they're doing, and they know how to have fun in front of an audience. And it yeah. just makes it all the much more fun for us at home. And if Paul McCartney wants to be in sketches, damn it, you put him in sketches. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> but, Kidding? If he was the guest, that's all. If if I was a writer there, that's all I'd write that week. I'd probably be fired the next week, but still, <laughs> I tried. <Right. laughs> exactly. So yeah, he he participated a little bit in the monologue. He was in, uh, this was an Alec Baldwin ho- hosted episode. He yeah. made a brief appearance as a butler in a sketch. But the one <laughs> that everybody knows and remembers, an, an all time sketch, is when he appeared on the Chris Farley show. Justin. Yeah, I, w- I watched that again uh, the other week in preparation for this. The only version I could find, I forget what, la- what language is on the. Um, the subtitles <laughs> it's like russian or croatian or something but yeah <laughs> yeah why it's, it's, that's a hard that's that one's hard to find apparently 
Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Why why do you feel like why is this sketch so classic? Why does it resonate? Cuz first of all, Chris Farley is so adorable, <laughs> especially when he's playing that character and you can see a lot of him in it, but he's basically if I was talking to Paul McCartney, I'd do the same thing. It's, it's right? relatable that's what, because that's what that's any of us would do. So what are you going <laughs> to say to him? Exactly, exactly. And what what did Farley say to him? You you remember when <laughs> Remember when you were with the Beatles? Yeah, sure. Sure. That was awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah. As far as that I'm was, concerned, that's that a perfectly was awesome. fair question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, of course, Farley does the heavy lifting in this sketch, but I think the sketch works at the optimal level because of how huge Paul McCartney is. Yes. I mean, Farley did this with Martin Scorsese, and I thought it was a good sketch, but it didn't have the same impact that the McCartney one did because you can't replicate a line like, remember, you when you were in the Beatles, because Scorsese or pretty much anybody you get isn't going to be that huge or have be attached to something so memorable like the Beatles. It, this works like it does because Paul McCartney is the guest on the sketch. That's what I how I feel. Yeah, and I'd say not just that. I mean... Uh, Martin Scorsese is very much at home on a film set or in an editing suite. He's, you know, when he's a talking head on camera in, in documentaries, he does a very good job. But yeah, to have him performing sketch comedy, is it's not his strength. Paul's a pretty game sketch performer, I suppose. He kind of showed it. He was, he was great about playing along here. And he was also appeared yeah. in Weekend Update briefly when Adam Sandler did his Red Hooded Sweatshirt song. Dup, dup, dup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's just fun. He's just like a fun kind of yep. goofy guy. He wanted to play that night and and it was just wonderful to see. It was an Alec Baldwin hosted show, but it was almost like Paul McCartney was like a another kind of host in a way in the show. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was oh, all over that episode. Who better to have as a guide uh, to your first SNL performance than uh, you know, than someone like Alan Baldwin picking up the slack mm-hmm. who's essentially another cast member. This was in 93, so by that time, Alec had been doing it. That was probably his fourth. He'd already won his uh, first Emmy for his, his first episode in 1990. Yeah, yeah. So so who better, I mean, to pair Paul McCartney with than Alec Baldwin? So Yeah, I mean, somebody's going to look after you. Yeah, great episode. Uh, again, yeah. February of 93. Go check that out if you hadn't seen it in a while. I and think that's the took... episode with uh, that Julie, Julia Sweeney wrote a sketch when she, was, uh, she grew up uh, Irish Catholic. Mm-hmm. And at one point in her school, confession turned into, mm-hmm. I, be, I think it's reconciliation, they called it, yeah. where you actually had to sit face to face with a priest. Like, I was Irish Catholic as well. And, you know, I got into the confessional booth. We never saw the priest's face. We knew who he was. And I'm damn sure they knew who we were. But, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, she has to. And apparently it's based on something that actually happened. There was a very handsome priest in her parish, and that's. Semi-autobiographical, but that's so that's getting away. That's getting away from the uh, the issue at hand. <laughs> it's a, yeah, just to back up what you're saying, it's a good episode to watch. Yeah, very good episode. If you can but, find it. Yeah, it took 17 years thereabouts for for Paul to uh, appear again. He even though he's good friends with Lorne, in my mind, McCartney's been on the show more than he actually has. If that makes sense, it seems yeah, like would, he's appeared. More I would imagine he's he's one of those guys that like when he's in town, he shows up and he's at the show, mm-hmm. you know, in the the Jack Nicholson section or whatever. 
I don't know that for sure, but I would imagine he that happened more than once. No, I think he hangs out, but I I so closely associate him with the show that I in my mind he's been on more than he actually has. Like I was shocked when I had to I had to go back and I'm like, really? It, he went 17 years between between actual like official appearances. So he comes back for anniversary specials and, and oh yeah, like I'm, I'm sure he'll be there at the 50th. God him, God willing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm sure he will. Him and the other Paul will be right yep. there with Lorne. Uh, but his third, uh, Paul McCartney's third uh, appearance as musical guest was not until December of 2010 with mm-hmm. another great host, Paul Rudd. Yeah, a, so, a lot of a lot of Pauls. A lot, a lot of Pauls. Lorne <laughs> loves the Pauls. So uh, the first song that McCartney did was Jet, which is one of his a solo or wings song one, of, one that, of my favorites yeah a lot of what did you think yeah. of this rendition of jet nothing's gonna better the album version for me mm-hmm. but that's that's just me uh but no it was it was very good as usual yeah I think it was solid, workmanlike, good rendition, uh, probably not spectacular or anything, but I think it, I'm glad he came out with, uh, and and we'll see that in all, well, I should say four of the songs that he was uh, allowed to perform that night, that they're uh, crowd pleasers, I think. Mm-hmm. People tuning in, they don't want to hear some obscure song. They want McCartney to play the hits as best he can, so I think Jet was... Uh, kind of a nice crowd pleaser. The second song, Band on the Run. Yeah. Same as Jet, little crowd pleaser. You know, I'm wondering if that was the year that they reissued Band on the Run and maybe he was promoting it. Mm, yeah, I don't but, know. Uh, our, our research team didn't get to that. Yeah, my, uh, my, my normally trusty brain is failing me because I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I enjoyed Band on the Run. It was It, it was pretty good. No, I'm not too keen on his solo career necessarily, but this is this these are so, Paul's solo songs for somebody like me who's like super into the Beatles but then just kind of stopped at Let It Be. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while he he comes up with something that's uh that you don't expect like Flaming Pie in the in the in the late 90s. That was a really refreshing uh turn for him. It's just somebody yeah. that puts out, you know, he's got that sort of northern English workman mentality you know got to keep putting albums out and they're not all going to be great yeah (laughs) apparently (laughs) but some of them some of them are quite good which is nice what i did think was pretty great though was the third song i'm a sucker for seeing paul perform these classic beatles songs so he did a day in the life 
and give peace a chance although i'm not like huge on give peace a chance but a day in the life was pretty cool to yeah. to watch and perform i read the news today oh boy about the lucky man who made the grade and though the news was rather sad well i just had to laugh yeah, give peace a chance. I really like is the you know the the single that came out that was recorded in the the hotel room in Montreal with Tommy Smothers and all those other people that were there at the time. That's kind of fun and exciting. But yeah, as a song on its own, it's uh, it loses a bit of its impact for me. Yeah, I think it's a fine tag to a song as it was here. Yeah, the day yeah. in the life. But a day in the life is really something that I think I think on album it's a really impressive feat that the Beatles did a lot of really interesting production techniques and recording techniques and everything like that. And I, and I, I enjoyed seeing it performed on, uh, on SNL. Yeah. And even the way Paul was able to sneak that little snippet of a song into the middle, that song that he had about woke up, got out of bed, dragged the comb across my head and it, it works. It mm-hmm. works perfectly. Yeah, this was great. And I should say too, I want to point out that this is the first time that we see his band, that as it's still presently constituted, we're in 2023 and his live performances now, they're a well-oiled machine because his band, his live band, they've been together for a long time. And yeah. I think I think we're seeing like a really tight band here too. It's not just Paul, it's like really seasoned, great musicians behind him. Yeah, when you're playing with the same people for so long, I, w- I was in a band for years and I was the drummer and the bass player and I, the bass player started playing at the age of 16 along with me as the drummer. So we got very, very tight. And yeah, you just get to a point where you, it's a group mind. You sort of know what the, you know, if you're doing something, if you're improvising in the middle of a song or something, or even when you're just composing, you sort of know what the person's going to do next. And it informs your decisions. It's nice to have that sort of, that group mind. Yeah, and having seen him now a couple of times, they just gel so well. And we get a rare fourth song from a musical guest. Paul closed the show during the good nights. A really cool way to end the show, yeah. uh, I think, doing uh, Get Back. knows after the cameras went off how long that continued there may have been more i know when prince uh i I think it was prince or i might be getting it mixed up but there was somebody that played a a late song and yeah just kept playing like prince or u2 i think maybe they've u2 did do a song over the credits they did i will follow and you could see all the all the girls crying just because i guess it took i guess it took them back to their youth but yeah that was that was really exciting and yeah, who knows? They may have played a couple more songs after that and a little impromptu show for the, the audience and the cast. Yeah, what a treat for, yeah, the crew. for everybody who's in there. Yeah, ending his first gig with, or his first SNL 
gig with Hey Jude, and then he ends this one with uh, Get Back during the Good Nights. Like Paul is a lot of things, and uh, one of them's a showman. Honestly, he yeah. knows how to give the audience what they want. He knows how to put on a show, and, and it's just so great to see. I think he was what sixteen or fifteen when he joined the Beatles. Yeah, they were a little more the, edgy the, the, at the, the time. The Quarrymen at the time. The Quarrymen, yeah, and they would play like lunchtime gigs at that the, the bar, at the cavern, at the cavern. Yeah, yep. they would. Uh, they were a little more edgy. They would swear during their gigs and they wear leather. Uh, yeah, wear leather, and the, the, their manager uh, at the time talked them into kind of softening up their image <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Yeah, uh, Brian Epstein put them in the suits, which you know was a shrewd move. Apparently a really good move. It's hard to criticize <laughs> decisions that were made about the Beatles in the early 60s. Yeah. <laughs> Seemed to work out for them, Justin. Yeah. Other other than the uh, the royalties and the uh, the contracts uh, Brian Epstein signed. But to be fair to him, nobody knew at that time. Everyone thought rock and roll was still, you know, just a year away from dying. Yeah. So there was it was really the wild, the wild west. I used to I used to really uh, badmouth. Brian Epstein for the terrible deals he signed, but like, yeah, he had no idea. Nobody yeah. did. How could you? That was just yeah. some things you have to do through trial and error. Unfortunately, it's all hindsight. <laughs> yeah. So Paul's fourth and up to now his most recent SNL appearance was just two years later. It was a Christmas episode uh, in December of 2012, and the host was Martin Short. Indeed. Um, yeah, yeah, and w- Paul brought out some guests too. Before we get to my favorite one, uh, and maybe one that stood out to you, he did bring out Joe Walsh for uh, for yeah. my Valentine. And so I do without a care. I know that someday soon the sun is gonna shine and she'll be there. Paul decided to come out, get an eagle, and let's perform a new song. I, I'm a big Joe Walsh fan. Big fan of the James Gang, his solo stuff. I'm not a huge Eagles fan, but that's nothing against Joe. <laughs> if I had been offered that gig, I would have taken it too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was more of a anti-Don Henley or Glenn Fry. You know, I really <laughs> like Don Henley. I like Don Henley's... Um, I like his solo work a lot. I don't... I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not the Big Lebowski. I don't hate the Eagles. <laughs> yeah. I think I've, I think I've heard enough of the Eagles. Yeah, I think a lot. Right. Of Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But this was a pretty, it was a, it was a uh, fine performance. I think my Valentine and a little new song that we got from Paul. This second one, though, as somebody, I'm a huge Nirvana fan. Yeah. Big time Nirvana fan. I was actually the guest on season one of the SNL Hall of Fame. When Jamie led the conversations, I was his guest to talk about Nirvana. I'm just yeah. such a huge fan. They did. It's a, This is an original song, Cut Me Some Slack.
original song by Paul and the surviving members of Nirvana. So yeah, Dave Grohl, Chris Novoselic, and Pat Smear. And I, I dug this, man. How happy would that have made Kurt Cobain? He was such a big Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could hear the Beatles melodies in some of their songs. Yeah. Uh, in some of Nirvana songs. And, and, and Kurt definitely admitted he took a lot of inspiration. How could you not? That's, yeah, <laughs> that's it, like admitting that that uh, I don't know. Like sometimes I like to drink water when I'm thirsty or something. Like, yeah, just like exactly. a natural, just like a natural thing to do to take inspiration yeah, from. The yeah, that thing called air. I like to breathe it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you. Sometimes how I, about you? <laughs> so yeah, this would have made Kurt so happy. I'm mm-hmm. sure. And yeah, cut me some slack. A really cool original song with Paul and the surviving guys from Nirvana. And I thought this was. Uh, fun excellent kind of upbeat performance i i really enjoyed this one yeah that was a very inspired choice and just you know it's just so fun seeing for me anyway i'm sure i'm, I'm sure i'm not the only one it's just fun seeing intergenerational mashups and i i always love and i had brought this up when i was talking to ryan mcneil in our david bowie episode i love when i see kind of the old guard of musicians not thumb their nose at younger uh, younger bands and up and coming bands and yeah i like people that champion new artists elton john is really good for that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, definitely yeah and uh i know nirvana is not necessarily like of this generation but they're definitely a whole generation or two past where paul was with the beatles in his prime so it's just wonderful yeah. to see paul embrace dave grohl and chris novoselic and pat smear and i'm not just going to perform with you guys once like let's do let's cut a track let's do a song let's you yeah know, Combine our talents. So this was really cool. Yeah, I agree. And you had referenced the sketch that he was in with Martin Short. It was this pageant audition sketch. Yeah. And yeah, kind of lay that out for, for I know a lot a lot of us. Was that was that of, Paul was Paul's name Monty? It was Monty. Yeah. Am I remember that remembering yep. that right? Yeah, yep. they're they're auditioning. Monty, Paul McCartney, wants to sing. And Martin Short keeps screaming and yelling about how you can't sing. You're a terrible singer. I want to sing. You want to sing. This is the way you treat me. You treat me after everything I did for you. You know where he was. You know where I found him when we were supposed to be rehearsing. He was stuck in a tree. I was, I was chasing a bird. I hate you, Marty. I hate you. I hate the way you look, the way you speak. I hate who you are. So I quit. I quit. Best of luck on your solo career. Can I sing now? And, you know, Martin Short's being Martin Short, being very hammy and very cabaret. And then poor Monty is stuck just playing the triangle. And then finally, I forget the exit line, but basically Martin Short exits and then the walls behind them separate and there's the band playing uh, Wonderful Christmas Time. Yeah, the sketch serves as a as a lighthearted. It was amusing, uh, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, calling Paul McCartney a bad singer—that's kind of the joke, haha. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I think it was a little. It was a it was a fun way to uh, to go into Wonderful Christmas Time, which honestly, full disclosure, not a song that I like. No, me neither. <laughs> but me I neither. I, actually, I appreciated this one because because uh, you had that children's chorus with them. It was nice. And yeah, touching. it was fun.
I can't say anything bad about this performance or this song because like I think the children's chorus it was really cool that they were there. I think they added a better dimension. This probably honestly I like this a lot better than the than the Yeah, uh, I mean, like we said, it's not our favorite song, but when I hear it at Christmas, I don't mind it. No, no, it makes you feel in good. this context. Yeah, it made me feel yeah, yeah. really good. So he he does three songs. So man, making up for uh for a lot of lost time, making up for kind of a weird first episode he did three songs in his uh, second episode four songs in his third and now three songs in his fourth including appearing in a sketch uh, with martin short so even though he's only been on the show four times do you feel like he's more of a presence on snl than like well, the before actual... we get to that let's yeah. remember he was he was there in 2015 when mm-hmm. tina and amy came back to host and he came out playing uh, the bells with uh, Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band playing Santa Claus. Right. Yeah, maybe what time that he was just kind of hanging out. <laughs> yeah, so we'll give him like a, a quarter point for that. Okay, yeah, he did yeah. play with Bruce Springsteen <laughs> uh, yeah. on SNL. So, yeah, so yeah, it just feels like, yeah, to me... I think like all those musical appearances and the sketch work, although it's not as much as the musical appearances, I think that's more. I think that more than qualifies him for the hall. Yeah, so you feel as a viewer that McCartney has done enough for at least consideration from voters? I can see him being synonymous with Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and I think he kind of, he probably still has a standing invite to appear on SNL. Oh, yeah, so I would maybe imagine. maybe the story's, yeah, the story's probably not done as far as him appearing on uh, Yeah, that's on the SNL. other thing. Uh, you know, now that, let's, let's also comment on the fact that... Uh, not when this episode airs. Who knows where we'll be then? But we do have a tentative agreement with uh, the writers at the moment, the WGA. So Saturday Night Live might, might actually be back this season. Yeah. And yeah, you never. We never know when Paul's going to show up. You never know. And then the fifth. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't put it in the realm of impossibility. No, no. He, as long as Paul still enjoys performing, he still enjoys being around Lorne and going to shows. Probably watching <laughs> SNL from from backstage. I think uh, there's a good chance that we could see him back. Uh, so I, I like to kind of end these episodes by summarizing or putting a nice tidy bow on it. So why do you think? Just to summarize, why do you think SNL Hall of Fame voters should consider? Paul McCartney for the SNL Hall of Fame. Because I think Paul McCartney is a kindred spirit with the spirit of Saturday Night Live. That spirit of irreverence ran through the Beatles like blood coursing through anyone's veins. And it's the same thing with Saturday Night Saturday Night Live. Anything and anyone is a target. And also they like to have fun and make fun of people and make fun of themselves. Uh, listening back to the opening segment, I did very little of my hosting duties. Uh, for those of you just tuning in now, uh, we're going to be joined by our friend Justin Renwick to talk about the wonderful career of Paul McCartney. Uh, I kid, I kid, you've already listened to, um, you know, what amounts to a testimonial of why McCartney belongs in the Hall of Fame by our friend Justin 
Uh, McCartney's been on the ballot for a few years. We haven't seen him, um, you know, take any great leaps. So, you know, it's up to this episode to rouse you, I suppose, into or out of your slumber for musical guests. Uh, musical guests are a big part of the show, love it or hate it. And uh, oftentimes, as I get old and yell at SNL to get off my lawn, uh, I, I don't like the musical performances. But there are some that I like a lot. And sometimes those performances by the ones I like a lot are extraordinary and lift you out of your seat and make you wish you were there live. Just like a great sketch. It's lightning in a bottle, of course. You don't know when it's going to happen. As I sit here and record this now, the Foo Fighters are going to be performing on the third episode of this coming season, uh, 49 of Saturday Night Live. And that has me lit up. Uh, I'm looking forward to something. There's a bar that has been set by Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. Was there by McCartney? I don't know. Uh, it was before my time, so I wasn't part of the zeitgeist, as it were. But um, certainly looking backwards and connecting those dots, it seems that way to me. I, I, I can make out, you know, in that tapestry, I can make out McCartney being in the music wing of the SNL Hall of Fame. So, off my soapbox, let's uh, jump in for a real great uh, medley here. Uh, this is from um, a McCartney performance on SNL, obviously. Uh, it's A Day in the Life and Give Peace a Chance uh, on the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Enjoy.
fell out of bed and dragged a comb across my head. Found my way downstairs and drank a cup. And looking up, I noticed I was late. Grabbed my coat, grabbed my hat, found the bus and set goes flat. On my way upstairs and had a smoke. Somebody spoke and I went into a dream. McCartney appearing on SNL in 2010. Was it the Christmas episode? Um, it it was like December 15th or December no December 11th. So there could have been another episode after that, but that's probably late. So I think it may have been the Christmas episode. But it was hosted by Paul Rudd. Uh, it was McCartney's third appearance on SNL as a musical guest, and. Um, he, he blew it out of the water after not being on the show for like over 15 years. He, he, he was a tour de force, like, you know, doing day in the life is, is great. And then throwing in that tribute to John with give piece of chance, uh, is, you know, just tremendous. So a lot of fun there, a lot of fun. Uh, that's what I have for you this week on the SNL hall of fame podcast. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Next week, we'll be back with another great musical guest that we are going to nominate in the SNL Hall of Fame. Until that time is near, may you be safe and happy and uh, 
you know, just kick some ass. While you're doing that ass kicking, maybe you could do me another favor. And as you walk on down the hall by the weekend update exhibit, yeah, right over there, there's a light switch on the wall. Turn it off because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week.